morning, everybody. Um, if you're new, my name's Dave. I'm the pastor here, uh, one of the pastors. We have lots of those. Um, thank you, guys. Uh, it was wonderful. Thank you, uh, our worship team. Awesome, as always. Uh, Dave Woodham steps in for Rodney from time to time, and it's always a joy when he does that. Um, gives Rodney a break, although Rodney just goes there and plays drums, so he can never get away from it. <laughs> but thank you guys for that. Uh, thanks for um, the communion time. And uh, I love my wife just shared, you know, how we just need to unhurry sometimes, you know. And so, so often we're busy getting to the next thing, and uh, if, if we're not careful, we don't stop and smell the roses, as it were, especially in our spiritual walk. And if we're not careful, if we miss that, we, we get through life and look back and go, I left a, a wake of uh, brokenness and uh, a wake of a lot of hurt feelings and a lot of relationships that could have been so much better. And at the end of it, what did I actually accomplish? You know, that's the thing uh, that we think about sometimes. And so often, uh, Tyler, and a couple weeks ago when he was here, um, he, he mentioned about his daughter in our, one of our leaders' meetings. He said, you know, she likes to dance. And he goes, and so we're going to provide dance lessons for her and send her to, you know, dance and see, if that, see how that turns out. And he goes... Hopefully she'll, you know, become a phenom and, you know, we can live in a big mansion because of our daughter. And he goes, no, I'm just kidding about that. <laughs> but he said, you know, when, I, when we get to the place where, you know, later on she says, you know, Dad, I really don't think I want to dance. I really don't think that's what I want to do. He said, or she said, Dad, I really don't think I want to follow Christ. He goes, which one of those do you think is going to hurt me the most? And I love that. You know, it goes back and he's just asking the question, what really matters? What really matters to us? And I love this morning again. Our passion in our heart, and I love that what Galen said about, you know, as we opened up in, in the communion, <clears throat> that it's not about you. If you're struggling as a believer, that's the point, right? And so often we've been told in legalistic circles that, you know, if you're, if, if you're not doing it perfectly, somehow if you're not adding something to what Jesus did on the cross, right? And that's the way we think, that somehow you are less than, and that's not how God sees you. As a matter of fact, the Bible says on your worst day, when you were the worst you could possibly be, while you were still sinners, he said, that's when Christ died for you. When you were the worst, when you weren't looking for God, when you weren't even thinking about God, when you're full on in your selfishness, all of that, and glorying in it, that's when Jesus paid the price for you. So I promise you, if there's a struggle that you have as a believer, and you're leaning in, going, you know, like the, the guy said to Jesus, help my unbelief, Lord, you know. Um, when you say those kind of things, Lord, help me in this sin that I'm struggling with, help me in this in this brokenness that I'm struggling with. When you, when you do that, I promise you, he is there for you. That's the point. That's the reason he's there. And so I just want to encourage us this morning. I'm going to preach a new series, start a new series this morning called um, Heirs with Christ. And I thought a lot about what this looks like. And uh, we're going to go a little bit deep this morning. Uh, I've been preaching some messages that are what we would call milk. Um, we've talked about this in the past. Some of those messages are about the righteousness of God, the gift of righteousness. And Christ talks about that, Hebrews talks about that, and it talks about that being the milk of the word, that you have to come to the basic understanding of what Jesus did on the cross, what he accomplished, how that works. And the truth is, so often, many of us have not even gotten to that point yet. And so there's so much more because he says, you know, I would, Paul writes to one of the churches, he said, i really like to talk to you about other things. <laughs> things that are even more important than this in terms of, you know, built this foundation and now I want you to go on to your inheritance in Christ. There's so much that's been made available to you. I want you, I want you to understand that. And he says, but I could not talk like that with you. I have to come back and we have to talk about milk again because you're not getting it. And that's really challenging. It doesn't mean they weren't Christians. We're going to get into that. But it meant that there was something that they had not, they had not understood. They had not taken the time to understand and to study and to really get a hold of. They had not wrestled with it, as it were, 
so that they could move on to greater things. And I want to challenge us with this inheritance that we have in Christ. So often we think we know what that is. We think we know how to walk in it. And so often we're just missing it entirely. And that's been my observation over the years. But let me start with a story. You've probably heard something like this before. There's a story of a a young man who goes off to college, and his grandmother visits with him. She's very wealthy, and she visits with him before he goes. Um, His college is paid for, so he doesn't have to worry about that. But, you know, he knows that she's wealthy, and she's always been good to him. So more than likely, she's going to take care of him through school. And so she hands him a Bible because she's a Christian. She says, all of your inheritance, or a good portion of your inheritance from me, you'll learn, you'll get it if you read this book, if you'll read these, these pages. And she gives him this big horse Bible, you know, it takes a horse to carry it. And uh, he takes it, of course, to his dorm room, um, promptly sticks it in a drawer, and never reads it in his entire time at college. And so time to time during his, his, uh, his course of school, he, he gets low on money, he calls his grandmother, grandmother, I, I could use some cash. And she said, listen, I told you, your inheritance is in that book. Some of you guys already know where I'm going with this. <laughs> and so, of course, he ignores her and doesn't read it and just lives as a pauper, um, you know, eating ramen noodles, as we all did in school, right? And so he, he gets to the end, he graduates, finally makes it, lives like a pauper the entire time he's, he's in school. And uh, his grandmother comes for graduation, and he's mad with her, and he says, you know, grandmother, it could have been so much better for me. It could have been easier. I could have, because you have all this wealth that is going to be mine one day anyway, and I don't understand why you wouldn't give them it. She says, where's your Bible? And he goes to the dorm room, gets it, brings it back. And she opens up to the first page, and she had taken a portion of her wealth and transferred it to $100 bills and put it in the pages of that Bible. <laughs> so here's the thing. He had lived his whole four years of school with an inheritance that was immediately available to him, and he never, ever touched it. Now, obviously, that's a metaphor because there was money in the Bible, but her point was, in what she was trying to teach him, And what we need to understand is that there's something in the Bible available to us. There's a revelation of who God is that you can't make up, right? Peter talked about this. Paul talked about this. The prophets talked about this. It's you can't decide who God is for yourself. That, you know, there's a a thing going around in our world right now about, um, you know, the pushback against objective truth. You You just need to live your truth. And it's subjective. And and the whole idea is, you know, you, you can know what's best for you. Only you don't. <laughs> you, are not, you are not the one who created yourself. The Bible says it very specifically. We are the sheep of his pasture, as Psalm 100 says. Uh, we did not make ourselves. He made us. We can be like him, right? But he is altogether not like you and I. And it's, and, and it's very important to get that in the right order. If we come with ourselves being the center of the universe, then the inheritance we have is whatever we can produce with our own hands. And don't get me wrong, it's not insubstantial. But it is not the inheritance that God intended for us. Hosea 4, 6, a very interesting scripture, well-known, says, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Right? It's not talking about getting a lot of information from Google. He's talking about knowledge of who God is. He goes on, Hosea 13, 6, he says, when I fed them, they were satisfied. Now think about this for a second. Don't gloss this over, so let me read it. When I fed them, when God provided for them, they were satisfied. That was his intention. He has a blessing for them. And then it goes on, it says, but when they were satisfied, they became proud. And what they, basically what we do is we think that somehow we did this for ourselves, right? That we gained everything that we have, that I did it, you know, if you're an American, I pull myself by my own bootstraps, right? You know, I'm John Wayne, I'll take care, I'll take care of business. I can do it. I don't need any help. And that mentality gets us in a lot of trouble. I want to start 
with some definitions as we kind of jump into some of these other scriptures. And like I said, we're going to go a little bit deep. So um, if I lose you, um, come back with me. <laughs> Try to catch up with me. Because like I said, we're not, I'm not in a hurry. I'm not going to take longer than normal, I promise you. But I'm going to go deep. And, it's, and I'm doing it on purpose because there's some stuff I think we need to know about our inheritance that sometimes we miss. So let me just start with some definitions. What is an heir? And it's simply one who receives property or something from an ancestor. It's handed down. It's something that comes to you, not because of anything you've done, but because of how you were born, right? Another word is inheritance, we're going to talk about, which is the acquisition of a possession, condition, or trait from past generations. You see the pattern. It's coming from somewhere. You didn't earn it. It's coming because of the way you were born. Birthright is another one, which is a right or a privilege or possession to which a person is entitled to by all the hard work they do. <laughs> no, by birth, right? What is a co-heir? That's an interesting one you see in Scripture. You don't see very often anywhere else. Um, it says it, it's an heir who shares an inheritance with one or more other people. And then this is an interesting one. This is in, in legalese, but it's called a disclaimer. And it's when you receive a gift from someone's estate, from an ancestor, from your heritage, you can refuse to accept the gift for any reason. You don't have to give a reason. You can just refuse to accept the inheritance. Um, and this is called disclaiming the gift, and the refusal is called a disclaimer. Here's what's interesting about that. When you disclaim a gift, you do not get to decide who gets it. So it, part of the understanding is just because you disclaim a gift doesn't mean the gift wasn't there. The gift is available. Whether you take it, whether you receive it, whether you walk in it, whether you're blessed by it, or not. It doesn't take, it doesn't take any way, anything away from the fact that there is a gift. Instead, it just passes on to the next beneficiary. Whoever is in line because of their birth receives that inheritance. So in 30 years of ministry, one of the biggest observations I've had is that people do not walk in the inheritance that God has provided for them. For me, for a very long time, I did not understand grace and so I did not walk in the, again, the milk of the word is grace. It's righteousness given as a gift, not something that I've earned. It's the hallmark of the Reformation um, with Martin Luther, that the just shall live by faith. In other words, I believe God has provided something that I could not provide for myself, right? The just, people who are righteous, are righteous, not because of anything they've done, but because of what Jesus did on the cross. And you receive it by believing that God has given it to you as a gift. That's the foundation of it. And there's a really interesting passage in Joshua. This caught my attention and probably is what kind of drove me toward preaching this series. But it's a passage I was reading in you know, my daily Bible reading, and it's uh, Joshua 18, 1 and 2. And it's simple, but if you're not careful, you'll miss it. But it captured my heart when I read it, and I hope that it captures yours. This is what it says. Um, Joshua, just kind of the, the backstory. Joshua is, they're gathered, they're going into the promised land, there are battles to be fought, and there are lands to be taken from, and so often we've heard in the past, this is, you know, the Bible is a picture of uh, colonialization, you know, you're going and you're taking something that doesn't belong to you, you hear that all over the, you know, our culture right now, and so the Bible is very specific that the people who had the land had, had forfeited because of their sin and their brokenness and their disrespect and dishonor towards God and their disrespect and dishonor towards one another. They were, they were sacrificing their children in the fire. It's one of, one of the, the peoples who were doing this. And so God says, I've given this land. They had it and they've lost it and I'm giving it to you. You're not getting it because you're perfect. You're getting it because I want to give it to you as an inheritance. And there were some ways back in that version of how we were living with God, the ways that you could keep it and ways that you could lose that inheritance. So this is what Joshua 18.1 says. 
the whole assembly of the Israelites gathered at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there. The country was brought under their control. So they were moving forward in taking the land. Verse 2 is very interesting. It says, but there were still seven Israelite tribes that had not yet received their inheritance. So again, it was available to them. Um, For them, God said, you're going to go in, you're going to take it. I'm going to be with you. You're going to be co-heirs, right? You're going to be co-laborers in this project. I've done it all, but there's a part that you play in how you receive the inheritance. We're going to get into that in just a minute. And so basically what was happening is they were happy, they were content with being nomads in the land. The land was fertile, um, you know, they, they had sheep, they had camels, they had all the animals, they had everything that they need, they were wandering, they were still living in tents. And God was saying, I don't want you to just live in the land periodically, I want you to possess something that I have given to you, right? And so this is what was going on, there, seven of the tribes had not received their inheritance. So why is the question? Why didn't they receive their inheritance? Which leads to some understanding of why often we don't receive or walk in the inheritance that we have. And again, they were satisfied with less than what had, God had offered. But think about it. It was enough for them. They said, you know what? I've, I've tasted this milk, and milk is awesome. I don't have to work for it. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to go battle a, a, you know, a city-state. I don't have to trust that the Lord is going to be with me in, in the battle. I can just sit back and drink milk and be happy. Like, you know, I live in a tent. I don't live in a house. Um, you know, I, I don't have anything from my ancestors to give to my children as an inheritance. But, you know, I'm basically happy, <laughs> right? And that's kind of the picture that happens is we so often don't know that we have an inheritance. Now, that wasn't true for these guys. They'd been told about their inheritance. They were just unwilling to do what was necessary to go in and take their inheritance and receive it. God had offered it freely, and so they couldn't go take it without God. God had already done the work, but he was saying, there's a part that you have to play. I will be with you when you're doing it, and I'm teaching you. As I do this, I'm teaching you something about myself and also teaching, something, teaching you something about what it means to be a mature son because Immature sons drink milk, but mature sons eat meat, right? And so, so often we don't know who we are. We don't know that we have an inheritance. And that's, we see this with people who don't know Christ. Um, you see this all the time right now with people who don't know Jesus. They're struggling with identity issues. And people who do know Jesus often because they're still babes in Christ are struggling with their identity. And this is something we're going to go after partly because the culture picked a fight. I'm just being honest. So, you know, I'm, I'm, not a, I, I'm not political in the sense that, you know, that's what I drive for, but I'm not afraid of being political. I'm not afraid of being uh, challenging to my culture. I'm not afraid to stand up, and neither should you be. If there are giants in the land, Karen showed me something recently, a clip from a message, there are giants in the land, that's why you're here, right? That's kind of what, what they were being told, the children of Israel, hey, there's a reason why you need to go take this. I am using you to do something in my plan and in what I'm accomplishing. Now, from that, you're going to receive an inheritance, but I'm about my own business, right? And Jesus later on was found, and, and his, his, uh, his earthly parents said, what, why were you here? Why didn't you come with us? Why were you over here? And he said, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business, right? He was moving into maturity, not, not satisfied with just drinking milk. It was, it was time to take on meat, and grow in maturity, and grow in stature, so that he could become the giant killer that, that God had made him to be. So it's interesting that people in their lack of identity, not understanding their identity, they're content with wandering. Like these children of Israel, they were content with not walking into the inheritance they had. 
Proverbs 29, 18 paints a picture of this. You all know it. It says, where there is no revelation, and one way of understanding that word revelation is who God says he is, or God's revelation to man. His prophetic declaration, this is who I am, this is what I'm about, this is who you are, this is what you're about. That is the revelation from God. It's not something you come up with, your idea, your thought about what religion is. It's who God says he is and what God's called us to do. He says, where there's no revelation, people cast off restraint, but blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. So it's a paraphrase. And one of the interesting things it says, um, the people perish because they wander around aimlessly. So the picture is, there's a revelation of who God is. We ignore that. We don't listen. We don't submit ourselves to who God is and what he said. And then we wander around with no purpose, no identity. We're nomads, like the children of Israel had decided they were going to be nomads and not walk into the fullness of their inheritance. And so it's fascinating that they are content with temporal things, right? And so you see this in the world today. There's such an obsession with sexuality right now in our culture. And it didn't start now. Uh, some of you guys, I, I can see by your faces that you lived through the 60s. God bless you, right? <laughs> I didn't understand anything till the 70s because I'm a little bit younger. But I, I'm, I'm feeling the repercussions of what happened in the 60s, especially with the sexual revolution. And it was a movement, I'm not going to get into this too deep, but it was a movement from sexuality being something that was part of a whole, right, to becoming, an, uh, becoming a transactional experience. In other words, sexuality in, in God's design was part of a relationship between a husband and a wife in a committed marriage in relationship with him. That was the idea behind sexuality. And the Bible said when he made that, he said, this is good. We used to do this with the teenagers when we were youth, youth pastors. We like, hey, we want to talk about sex for a second, and they all get embarrassed, you know. And we said, I don't know if you know this, but God's the one who invented sex. And they get that weird look on their faces, like, can he say that in public? I'm like, and not only that, I mean, can you imagine the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit together, and they're having a the conversation, and so, so how are they going to reproduce? And the conversation comes out, and they're going, they're going to like that. <laughs> right? And, and we all were nervous about me saying that because sexuality has been removed from the, from the place of identity that was part, it was part of the whole, not the whole. And so because of that, we get, we get embarrassed about that and Christians are afraid to talk about it. They're, you know, they're afraid to have conversations around this because sex has become a thing that is dirty. But, but that's the only thing the enemy can do. He can't come up with anything good himself. He only perverts what good God has brought about for our, for our benefit. And so that's what we're looking at now. There's a, I, there's a whole thing about your identity is wrapped up entirely in your sexuality. It's defined, again, by a part of us, and it's temporary. So here's something interesting. Um, and I'm going to make a statement in just a second that if it ever gets tweeted, I'll probably get in trouble. So be careful what you send out on the Internet. Um, Galatians 3.28 says, In the Spirit there is neither Jew nor Gentile, so that's good news, that you know, it's not the Jews because of their, you know, who they were personally that they became the partakers of what Jesus did on the cross. It's not just the Jews and the Gentiles, because in Christ, in the Spirit, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. It's interesting. So you can still be a slave in, in your identity with Christ. Um, nor is there male or female. What an interesting thing to say, right? So we, I don't know if you noticed, but there were two ladies up here leading communion. Anybody notice that? Probably not, because you guys are so spiritual. But in some churches, that's a no-no, right? My wife opening the service in some churches, that's a no-no. Why? Because we all know 
she's a woman, and therefore, I'm not going to say it out loud, but we all understand, right? <laughs> so it goes on. It says, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the law. Nope. Heirs according to the promise. We're going to get into that. Not today, but we're going to get into that. So here's what I want you to understand that's tweetable but dangerous. Gender is not, as our culture says, a social construct. But it is a temporal construct. So here's another scripture. Moses, um, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees trying to catch him out. And so they said, Moses said, if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. You ever notice how they always give you, they always give you a story that's not true, but if it were, right, then it would prove their point. So Mark 12, 24. So the, the Pharisees go through the story. Man dies, no heir. His brother comes in, marries her. He dies, no heir. And it, that happened seven times. So their question to him was, in heaven... Whose wife is she? Now think about that for a second. They were doing what our culture does right now in saying that sexuality, gender, everything that we understand that is natural, right, it's from this natural world, that we see in Scripture as, as an illustration, a shadow of something more. So your gender is a shadow of something way bigger. You were created in God's image, male and female, he created them, right? So that's a proper use of that pronoun, by the way. Notice that it was plural and there was two of them. But I, I, <laughs> I just can't help myself sometimes. All right, so to get back to this, but here's what Jesus said. Jesus replied, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. What he was basically saying is you don't understand the revelation of who God says he is. You have come up with a version of this yourself. So the Pharisees were saying, well, obviously in heaven, we still have marriage, right? So whose husband, I mean, whose, whose wife is she? She was married seven times, right? So in Jesus saying, you obviously don't understand the kingdom. You are still babies. As a matter of fact, they were less than babies. They haven't even been born yet. And they were looking at this from a, an earthly perspective that had gotten them in trouble and was ultimately keeping them from walking in the fullness of their inheritance. Because they, weren't, they were trying to create the inheritance in themselves and not receive an inheritance that was already available to them. See the difference? He went on, he says, When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor given, be given in marriage. Let me, let me just take a second. Culturally, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. That's silly, isn't it? It's like, isn't that the same thing? And the answer is no, because in their time, um, to marry was something a man did. To be given in marriage was something a woman did. She was given by her father. We do this in ceremonies. Some of you guys are, and I know I'm getting into some areas that are challenging, but I said I'm going to go deep because it's helpful for to understand this. So in the marriage ceremony, typically, we, we ask the question, who gives this man, sorry, who gives this woman to be married to this man, right? And nowadays, her mother and I, usually the father says it, her mother and I, and, and I'm okay with that, by the way, just so you know, because I have no problem with the equality of sexes. I don't have a problem with that. But that's not how it originally came. What originally said was the father said, I am, I, I am in authority over my family. And Paul said this over and over again, and the Bible speaks this in so many ways. Authority was never given to tear down. It was never used for selfishness in Scripture. It was always given, as Paul said, I have authority in you as the church that I planted to build you up, never to tear you down. Right? 
So if authority is used the way God intended authority to be used, it is good, it is powerful, and it's necessary. And so the, the, the man steps into a place where he says, okay, I'm going to take leadership and take the authority that God's given me, and because God has given me authority over my family, including my wife, I have also now commensurate responsibility for my wife. But you know what happens? Our culture's driven that to part and says men and women are exactly the same across the board, and that is altogether not true. We know that. We can see that in our culture right now because men who, who compete in women's sports, right, are dominating. When, if you look at the statistics, because I've done the research on this, you look at the statistics, and for them to compete as a male in male sports, when they're dominating in women's sports, they're not even in the top 100, oftentimes not even in the top 500. As a matter of fact, in some of those sports, the top female athlete is beaten by high school boys. The top female athlete are beaten in most sports by high school young men. So the body, the physical bodies, we know this is true. They're different, right? I'm not going to get into why all this is important, except for you don't get to change reality. If you do, if you decide you're going to try to do reality different than the way God revealed himself and revealed his nature, you will not walk in the fullness of your inheritance. Why? One reason why is because you have created an inheritance that isn't even really true. So you're trying to walk in inheritance of your own making. It's like, think of it as, I, rather than receive the inheritance my father has, which comes from a father to a son, that means I have to, I have to grow up and be a, a son to him and eventually become a mature, a mature son and then a father myself, that I have to receive from him what his inheritance is, not what I wish it was. But I would rather come over here and make counterfeit money and spend it illicitly until I'm caught. And that's exactly what happens in the world, right? I told you I was going deep. So, the second reason why we often don't walk in our inheritance is because it's hard to mature. Anybody heard the phrase, adulting is hard? And all of all the, you boomers are going, I, I hate that. Adulting is not, get over yourself and just go adult. At some point, just suck it up, buttercup. You know, we had, <laughs> so, <laughs> and all the young people are going, okay, boomer, whatever, right? You know, because, and, we, and we're like, it's because it was hard, right? It was very hard. Like, remember when we couldn't just get on our phones and look something up? We actually had to go to the encyclopedia, and if you couldn't afford an encyclopedia like me, you had to go to the public library, and you didn't even know there was a public library because you couldn't drive from your house and go anywhere. You couldn't walk. You're just like, I'll just be ignorant because I'm poor, <laughs> right? And now everything is at our fingertips, which also takes away so often the value of it. But it's hard to mature. It is not easy to take. It's easy to drink milk, right? Because there's, hard, there's no effort in it. You don't have to go get it. You don't have to do any of that. But to eat meat and vegetables, you actually have to eat some vegetables that you don't like. I know this comes as a surprise, especially to some of you young men, right? But you have to eat. Why? Because there, there are nutrients in the vegetables, even if the taste of the vegetable isn't what you want or like. The same thing is true in God. There are nutrients in what God is trying to offer you sometimes that the other side of it is where the benefit comes. Remember we sang that song, and we talk about this all the time, that for the joy set before Jesus, he enjoyed the cross. Is that what it says? Of course not. I don't know if you know this. Crosses are hard, right? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And that's part of what maturity looks like is, is being honest about I'm going to have to do some things that I my flesh 
my desires are going to have to be put on hold or taken away or removed altogether or pushed back against to walk into something that's good for me. 95%, this is a quote by Billy Graham, 95% of the difficulties you will experience as a Christian can be traced to a lack of Bible study and reading. And yet you have a Bible with you right now on your phone probably. We have Bibles at home. The Bible has been, so many people died to make the Bible available in your language. There's so many versions now that it's hard to just keep up with them because the attempt is we want to put this in your language. Why? Because the revelation of who God is to his people is so incredibly valuable because everything comes from understanding the revelation that God has given to us. And he started out, I've I've written you a book. You should probably read it. And I ask Christians sometimes, have you read the Bible? Parts of it. Do you really want an inheritance or you just want part of an inheritance, right? And it's a challenging question. So how do we obtain our inheritance in Christ? I told you we're going to go deep, so put your seatbelts on, and if you weren't paying attention before, you better dig in, because if not, I'm going to lose you in this scripture, I promise. I lose myself in this scripture sometimes, and I, and I understand it as much as I think I can, but I'm always recognizing there's maybe even more that I can get. So this, this passage is in Ephesians chapter 1, and it's written to assure Gentile believers, that when Christ comes again, they will receive the same spiritual inheritance as the Jews had already believed in Christ. So it was a picture of, remember what scripture we read a second ago, there's neither Jew uh, nor Gentile? Why was, why was Paul talking about that? Because the Jews held a special place, right, in the natural scheme of things. God had chosen a people, a people group, that he was going to show himself and reveal himself to and through. And then in the New Testament, that's no longer just the Jews, that's also Christians. And a Christian can be a Jew or a Gentile, which is anything other than a Jew, right? So it doesn't matter about your ethnicity, it doesn't matter where you come from. If you believe in Jesus, what Paul's saying through this passage is, I want to remind you that the inheritance that you think the Jews alone get, that inheritance is available to you. How is it available? And that's what we're going to talk about. So let me read it in two versions. The the ESV, and then I'm going to read it in a paraphrase. So here it is, uh, Ephesians 1, 11, 14. In him, we have obtained an inheritance. So how did we get it? In him, we have obtained an inheritance, right? Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, notice how big the sentence is, right? It's what my uh, English teacher would have called a run-on sentence. Like, I pray often, say, Paul, I wish you to put more periods in there so I could pause and think about it. Let me start again. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Have I lost anybody yet? (laughs) It's hard to understand. I told you, adulting is hard, right? That's why you have to study the Bible. You can't just read it and hope to get something out of it. Somehow reading it is going to filter it in your brain. You're going to have to study it. You're going to have to dig deep. It goes on, verse 13. He says, in him, in Jesus again. How do we obtain our inheritance? In him. It's coming through Christ. It doesn't come any other way. And remember, we talked about its revelation. So in Hebrews, it says, in the past, God has revealed himself in varying ways. The prophets, right? Through the Old Testament, through the law, he's revealed himself. But in these last days, what did he do? He has shown you who he is through his son, through Jesus, 
right? That's the point. Knowing Jesus is knowing the Father. It's knowing the purpose. It's knowing the whole plan. If you don't understand who Jesus is and what he did and what that's all about, you're never going to walk in the, in the fullness of, of, of your inheritance. So he goes on. He says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. So it's not enough to hear it. You had to do something with what you, you heard. And he goes on. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. It's a powerful phrase. You were sealed. It was done. It's a past tense thing that happened when you believed in the gospel. He goes on, he says, who is the Spirit of God in you, living in you, you being sealed with him inside of you, right? With that happening, he said, he is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Man, you talk about unpacking. So let me read it to you in a paraphrase that will just help us get to what I'm going after, to, what I'm going after today. So this is the word come alive. It's just a paraphrase. It's kind of like uh, the message, only not as hippie. <laughs> it's, it's a less 70s version of a paraphrase, if, if, if you will. It says this, we were chosen by God. We were made heirs in Christ. How were you made an heir? Because of all your hard work? In Christ, having been marked out in advance. In other words, you didn't choose him, he chose you, right? That is how God works, out, works everything out to conform to the purpose of his will. In other words, his predestined, his ability to see things beforehand. We often hear this, and, and we've, we've been told as a sidelight, that God has predestined some to salvation and some to hell, right? Some are going to go to heaven. Some. Are, so here's the thing. If you have nothing to do with that, then wh why do anything? Why try? Why read your Bible? Why try to reach people for Jesus? Goodness gracious, don't go to the Amazon as a missionary. Why would you do that? Because some of those guys are going to perish, and some, regardless of what you do. But that's not true. Predestined doesn't mean that God did it without, without you choosing it all. Predestined, and, and the easiest way to think of it is God already knows because he's not inside time, but you and I are. And the decisions we make inside of time are decisions he's seen because he's outside of time. So I hope that helps. Maybe it made it worse. I don't know. We'll see. But let me go on. When you Gentiles, first he goes, uh, that is how God works everything out to conform to the purpose of his will. God certainly does what he has planned to do. In other words, God's in charge. Praise God. The result of this is that we who had earlier hoped in Christ might bring praise to his radiant, radiant majesty. We who had earlier hoped in Christ were the Jews. That's why context is so powerful in this. He goes on and he says, um, when you Gentiles, we just talked about the Jews who had believed before, when you Gentiles also heard the message about the truth. Listen, you, you can't just decide to be a, a Christian. You have to hear the gospel. Why are we still here? When, when you got saved, you're never going to be more holy than you are in that moment. You have been given a gift of righteousness, and nothing you do from there on out is going to make you more righteous because you are, you are all the way righteous because of the gift. So then why are we here? Why doesn't God just say, why don't we just take you out back and shoot you the moment we're sure of your salvation, right? Wouldn't that avoid some of the suffering? I mean, you know, the bullet might hurt for a second, but, you know, think about all the suffering you could avoid if you just took yourself out when you became a believer. But we don't do that. Why? Because there's something inside of us, something innate that knows there is a purpose for me still being here. There's a reason I exist. And so often we have just made it about ourselves. We just made it about all the benefits that I can gain from God 
Rather than recognize it, there must be a plan and a purpose that I entered into. And it ought to take precedence in my life. In other words, whatever plan you had, I had planned to become an architect because they drove nice cars and their boots didn't get dirty. That was my thinking because I worked landscaping, right, with my dad. And God said, I've always wanted you to be an architect, just not with the way you think. I want you to do that in my kingdom. And I had to make a decision to choose to go this way, the, the direction God had called me to into the ministry, or this way into having a really nice house and a nice picket fence and never getting my boots dirty. Right? You have to choose because it's not your plan, it's his. He goes on. He says, When you trusted in Christ, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit and giving you his Holy Spirit. God affirms that your faith is genuine. There was a preacher who preached in Dothan, got himself in trouble at a a conference here. He preached a, a message called God Won't Live in a Dirty House. Some of you guys remember that. And that's grace. And, and I love that Galen brought that out when she said, hey, if you're struggling with sin and, and you're afraid to take communion, you do not understand communion. And we've used that to beat believers up who are struggling with sin and rather, giving, rather than giving them hope and rather than giving them grace and mercy and the kindness and the goodness of the Lord and releasing them fully, we have, we have built a barrier to them coming to the Lord in the first place for help in time of need. You know what Hebrews says? I, I say this almost every Sunday, that we can come boldly to what? The throne of grace. It is, the throne is a throne of grace. That's what it is. That's been revealed to you. You didn't decide that. He did. And if that's true, you can come boldly. You think about that. I just sinned some juicy sin, and now I'm going to come boldly before God? How is that possible? And when you understand how it's possible, it enables you to come boldly. Because you're not coming with your own strength going, somehow I deserve this, God. I know better than that. But in your great mercy and in your kindness and to the glory of who you are, I can receive help in time of need powerful. He goes on. He says, God affirms that your faith is genuine, assuring that you belong to him. That would preach a series of series. You were marked in him, stamped with his ownership. You are part and parcel of him. The Holy Spirit is the first installment who guarantees our full inheritance. In other words, you can taste and see that the Lord is good. And I've been serving the Lord for over 30 years, some of you even longer than that. And there are, there are things about the full inheritance that I have not yet taken part of. Some of that is my own stupidity, my own ignorance, a lot of those things. Some of it is there's something that's reserved even in heaven for us. But Karen mentions this all the time. I would have, um, what's the word? I would have despaired, thank you. If, if, if not believing that there's hope in the land of the living, not just in, in heaven. Karen brings that out all the time. So here's the thing. Holy Spirit's the first installment who guarantees our full inheritance. In the future, God's complete redemption of the people who are his cherished possession. I want you to remember that phrase, who are his cherished possession. Even more than that, he also provides us with a foretaste of that inheritance now. You get to live in the house of your father before the house of your father becomes your house. Think about that for a second. Everything that you have is going, everything that he has is going to be yours. But it turns out everything that he has is already yours. Even before it's transferred fully, you are still a son of that house. And because you're a son of that house, you have the rights to everything that your father has. So 
Several versions in this passage. Two of them, the NIV and another one, NET, says, we were also chosen. We have been claimed as God's own possession. And then other versions translate that to say, we have obtained an inheritance. One says, we have received an inheritance. So which one is it? Which one is it? In that passage, um, God has obtained an inheritance in us, or we have obtained an inheritance in him. What do you think the answer is? Both. So think about this for a second. Have we been claimed as God's inheritance or have we received an inheritance from the Lord? So I want you to remember two things. We are an inheritance in Christ. We are and we have an inheritance in Christ. I'm just going to cover those two briefly and I'm going to wrap it up. Verse 18, later on in that passage, says, What are the riches of his glorious inheritance? Notice when we read that, we, what, we he, what we see and what we hear is, I have something from the Lord. But that's not what that scripture says. Listen to it again. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance? That is you. God has an inheritance. His inheritance is you. If you have a son and you have an inheritance, all the things that you have, which one do you think, as Tyler brought out in his message, which one is more important? All the things you have to give to your son or the fact that you have a son? See, and that's the picture of God. God says, Jesus says, for the joy set before me, I endured the cross. Why? Because on the other side of it, it takes away the sin, the barrier that removed God's broken, sinful sons and replaced them back into the family. They didn't have to do anything but believe and receive the truth about that in in what Jesus did on the cross. So, So God says, I have it in here. Why would God send his own son to a cross? Because he wanted you. He made you for himself. You are his inheritance. And he made you for himself. And there was a barrier. There was something that was keeping you away from being in relationship with him. And he despised that. And so he paid a price so heavy we can't imagine. Why? So that all the sin that was keeping you from him is moved out of the way. It's taken away. It's paid for. It's not, it's not brushed under a rug somewhere. Jesus paid for it. Why? So that you could come boldly before the throne of grace in times, for help in times of need. You could have a relationship with your father. We have sown so many lies about heaven being a place and forgotten that the only reason heaven is a place is because of the one who lives there. Heaven isn't a place. The streets of gold, that's, it's not about any of that stuff. We relate to it because we get that here in the natural. But God's saying, I want you to quit drinking milk and start eating some meat and recognize that he is the giver of all good things. Which is better, the, the good things or the giver of all good things? We are an inheritance in Christ. Believers are, those that God has claimed out of all the people on the earth, are his portion, his heritage, his inheritance, and his heirs. By choosing us before the foundation of the world in Christ, by adopting us into the family, into his family in Christ, by redeeming us through the payment of a ransom price through the death of his son, God has claimed us as his portion, his inheritance, and his treasured possession. That is how he sees you. My question to you is, how do you see you? Because if you see something different, you have believed a lie. But Dave, I've sinned. Surprise. Dave, I've sinned since I've become a believer. Surprise. I, I knew better. Surprise. 
Why does that matter? Because can Christians sin? Of course they can. They're free. They can do whatever they want. Right? Can sinners do righteous acts? Sure. But a sinner is a sinner because of the identity that they live in. Their inheritance is not in God. Their inheritance is in themselves. So they are a sinner. And if you are a Christian, if you are a saint, you are who God says you are. Why? Because you believe something that someone else has not believed. You heard a message. Maybe they heard it too. But you put your faith to action and you believed what happened on the cross was for your benefit and would take away your sin. And it did. Some people are still living in their sin, even though they've heard the gospel message, because somewhere in their head, they either want their sin, because the Bible says sin is pleasurable for a season, but the end of it is death. Maybe they just haven't got to the death part yet, right? Maybe their sin hasn't killed their relationships and taken away their money and their inheritance and their peace and all those other things that some of us older people who sinned enough to know it will remove all those things. But if they believed in Christ, whenever, Karen's father gave his life to Jesus when he was 90 years old. Not served the Lord his, inter- his entire life. But God said, this man for 90 years who did something as an immature, not even a babe in Christ, just someone who was a, a, an in- enemy with God, right? He had made himself the enmity of God. God's love for him transcended all of that. And 90 years that he could have been serving and giving and giving, receiving more and more of his inheritance and giving it out, all that doesn't matter because in that moment, God said, I have loved you since before the creation of time. And I paid a price for you. The lamb was slain before the foundation of time. I have always loved you. And you are my son, if you will receive it. And at the last moment, he did. And we hate that. We don't like that. Because somewhere in our head, we think that all of our works give us something from the Father, and they don't. (laughs) I told you we're going to go deep. Lastly, we have an inheritance in Christ. I'm just going to read you some keys, uh, some key scriptures. Ephesians 3, 6, this mystery is that through the gospel of the Gentiles, through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. There's no identity based in your ethnicity. Members together of one body, and listen, they are sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. So we have an inheritance in Christ. We have it, but it's somewhere, it's somewhere, it can't, we can't have it ourselves. It's, it belongs in somewhere. And then Acts 20, 32 says, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Hear that phrase? I commend you to God and the word of his grace. Why? Which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified or set apart. Set apart. The word of his grace is what's going to get you your inheritance. You're going to walk in the fullness of it. Not because anything you've done right but because of his grace and his kindness. Colossians 1.12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified. The Father has qualified you. Listen, has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Who qualified us? You and your good works? No. God the Father has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints. We are not just heirs of what God has. We are heirs of who God is is. And that's the part that God's trying to get through to us. It's not just what we can get from God. That is a baby mentality, right? What happens with small children? Everything they think about is how to be happy, (laughs) right? And and they don't even know what that is, but they're like, "I, I know if I eat sugar, I'm happy. But if I eat vegetables, I'm not happy. So happiness is everything. And so they, you know, they do that when they're two, and then they do that when they're 22, and then they're 62, 
and they're still a baby even though their body, well, their bodies aren't fully mature because all they ever ate was sugar, right? But that's what happens. Listen to this. This is Romans 12 too because you see this happening in a way. We have our inheritance in Christ, but it comes to us through a process. Romans 12 too says, don't copy or conform yourself to the behavior and the customs of this world, but. So don't do this. Don't conform to the world, but do this. Let God transform you. It didn't say transform yourself, right? Because I said, you know, if I do it right, if I, if I pray hard enough, if I whip my back, if I, you know, on my knees until I have calluses, whatever your version of that is, he says, don't conform to the behavior and custom of the world, but let God transform you into a new person, right? So you have a new heart, you have a new reality, you are a new creation in Christ. We all know this, but you can still be a baby in Christ. And he's saying, I want to transform you, transform you into the new person that I, I, I have a heart for you to be. How? By changing the way you think. Think about that for a second. <laughs> so the way you think, so Jesus said, how you believe in your heart, so are you. So if you think in, if you think wrong in your heart about who God is and his identity in you, you'll never get it right and you'll never transform into who God meant for you to be. Listen, he goes on. He says, if you change the way you think and begin to think like God, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The thing about a living sacrifice is they keep crawling off the altar. I know you've heard that, Right? We say this about ministry, and this, um, this is worth making the point. Um, in ministry, the picture that Jesus paints of ministry is a picture of a husband, uh, a man coming and being betrothed to his wife in that culture. His engagement is a little bit different, but he would be in, 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 uh, connected to engaged, and then he would go away and he would build a place for them. He would go and make a home for them, right? for, for them as a family. And while he was gone, if he was a rich man, he would... He would send servants to her, to train her, to uh, beautify her, to make her beautiful. You see this in Esther. For a year, she was, she was being, presented, be, being made presentable to her husband, right? You see, it's a powerful picture of it. So if he was a rich man, he would send servants to serve her and to minister to her. They were not her Lord. He was going to be. Um, but she also could not tell them what to do, right? So you see a picture of the ministry in that. I've talked about that in the past. If he were a rich man, he would send servants. If he were a wise man, he would make them eunuchs. Right? Why? Because it, it's too easy. She's beautiful. And this always, this always makes me tender when I think about this. How do I do ministry before you? You're not, you're not my master. He is. I serve you. You're the bride. I want to equip you. You don't like it sometimes. You want to stay in your tent because it's nice and warm and you're under your covers and you don't want to come out in reality because it's hot out there and you got to work. And I'm going to try to train you on using your sword like I'm doing right now. You would rather me just stand up here and wield the sword and look how pretty the sword is and wow, he's an amazing swordsman. And I'm like, don't care about that. I am, <laughs> but I don't care about that. My job is not to show you how good I am. My, go- my job is to equip you so you're as good as me, if not better. Because you are the bride. I'm just a servant to the bride. So there's this beautiful picture of the bride not wanting to do that. Right? It's hard. Adulting is hard. Briding 
is hard. Right? There's a great book written in the 70s called um, The Bride Wears Combat Boots. And it talks about being a warrior princess. And that's not a picture. We'd much rather have, you know, the picture of always, you know, painting and doing and dressing and selfie. You know, that. <laughs> we'd rather have that. But that's not the bride that Jesus has. By changing the way you think about who you are as the bride, by receiving ministry for what it is as a blessing to you. And here's what, I didn't make this comment, but it's necessary. God doesn't make me a eunuch to you. I have to make a decision to be a eunuch to you. In other words, it would be very easy for me to draw you to myself. Look at how amazing I am with the sword. Look how gifted I am. Look at how powerful I am all the time having been made so by your husband, by the father, right? And so everything that I am is to your benefit. You, you're not my master. He is. I serve you, but, but I'm not your Lord, right? And all that to say that I have to make a choice to do something difficult if I'm not going to draw yourself to me. Anytime you come and go, Dave, that was an amazing message. Thank you very much. But isn't he wonderful? Rodney comes and he sings beautiful songs. He has a very talented, gifted uh, ability to sing and worship to the Lord. And we're like, Rodney, you're awesome. And he is, <laughs> right? But his heart is. But isn't he beautiful? And that should be ours too. So let me finish with this. This is Galatians 4.1. Like I said, I know it's been a little bit challenging, so I hope you've been tracking with me because the benefits are so amazing. Galatians 4.1. Paul's talking about this concept of sonship and that it's time to mature, right? And he goes after this in a lot of ways. Um, for, before I read this, 1 Corinthians 3.1, brothers and sisters, he's talking to Christians, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ, Right? So this is the precursor for the verse I'm about to read. Hebrews 5, 13. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, that you're supposed to move on to something. Ephesians 4, 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. In other words, always confused and never able to walk into your inheritance. So this is what Paul said about that in Galatians 4.1. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, and I'm going to define that word in a second, he is no different than a slave. Although he owns the whole estate. So let that sink in for just a second. We can own the entire estate, and because our thinking isn't right, we're not, we're not progressing, we're not maturing, we're not studying our Bible. We've let, people say, I don't have time to read my Bible. And I say, you have to make time to read your Bible. Because <laughs> you have plenty of time. You're just spending it unwisely. So you have to choose that. And if you don't, let me say this, because this is important. If you don't, you're not disqualified from sonship. You're not. You're a son. Remember Paul wrote, listen to what he wrote to the Corinthians. He said, brothers and sisters, you are part of the family. He says, I couldn't address you as people who live by the Spirit because you're infants. You are babies. And, he, and the whole, his whole message is, I really wish you would move on from being babies to begin to think differently, take on the challenging things, begin to eat the meat of God's Word, begin to grow up in, the, in your thinking about who God is and who He says you are. And when you do that, He says, you're going to inherit the whole estate. 
right? Because think about this, that word heir and that word underage, right? Heir is you are going to receive something from your father, right? But that literally means, an heir is just literally means an infant, a child, or in this context, a minor. And all he's saying is, you are in the house that you are no different than a slave. People come back to the Lord, the rich young ruler, sorry, not the rich young ruler, but the two sons in the, in the prodigal son story, right? The one comes back and he says, when I go back, I'm no longer going to be a son. I will be as a hired servant to my father. That was an infant in Christ. And it's the reason why Jesus was telling the story. You think your sin has disqualified you, but what Jesus did on the cross qualified you. Your sin was keeping you from it. And when you let go of your sin and you chose the gift of righteousness in Jesus, you are now a son. The inheritance is yours. The whole estate belongs to you. But are you walking in it? And the answer he says, Paul says, is if you don't understand these things and you're not allowing your thinking to be transformed, he says, though you are an heir, you're no different than being a slave. So you are effectively a slave. And you don't, you're on the estate, you're working hard for the master, but you don't see him as a father, and you don't walk in the inheritance that has been made available to you. So at some point, you have to take on the mindset that it's time to grow up. And Paul said it this way, and I want to challenge you this morning as we go through this series. Most of you guys are believers. I, I think you are. I hope you are, right? Especially if you're on the eldership and deacon team. I really hope you're Christians, right? That'd be nice. <laughs> so Paul goes after this, and he, and he says, when I was a child, I talked like a child, acted like a child, I thought like a child, but when I became a man, he's talking about when, it, when, it was, when he was 12, coming on the age of 13 in the Jewish culture, it was time, this is what he said, when I became a man, I put away the childish things, and I began to take on the responsibility it was commensurate with the authority I was being given. And as, as I grow in that, I get released more and more authority. You want to have impact in the world? You want to have godly sons and daughters in this world? You want to push back against the darkness that we all feel in this culture? You want to change things? You want to make a difference? Or you just want to be a baby that just rides through life and then you get to inherit something in heaven? That's awesome, but you never made a difference here. You never stepped up to be the giant killer that God was growing you up to be, right? You stayed childish in your mind instead of becoming childlike as you matured as a believer. And I, I have this sense in us as, as, as a church that God has a great big vision that this building and what we see now is, is barely even a taste of. The impact that God has called us all to is dependent upon us growing up and taking on maturity as sons and daughters in the Lord and walking in the fullness of our inheritance. Why? Because there's going to be people who walk through that door who are going to come up to you and they're going to say, you don't understand what I'm going through. And if you have a childish baby infant mentality, you are going to feel deeply the hurt and the pain that they're going through and you will not take authority to bring them out of it. You will empathize with them but you will not see them transformed. But if you rise to the occasion and say, I'm going to step into the maturity that God's called me to, whatever that means for you, whatever, because God's going to, I promise, he hasn't already reminded you in this message that very quickly he's going to tell you, this is what he's talking about in you. You need to, we need to talk, <laughs> right? But if you do, somebody's walking through that door and they're going, 
there's no hope for me. If you knew my situation, and we get to tell them, I don't know your situation, but he does. And here's his promise to you, because if he would do it in me, he would do it in you too. And I'm going to pray with the power that God has given, and we are going to go after this thing, and you're going to see hope in the land of the living. And then also you're going to get an inheritance heaven. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Um, I'm excited as we go into this. Uh, there's a bunch of things we're going to talk about. Um, it's going to get real interesting real fast. What's our uh, inheritance for? How to receive it? How to walk in it? Um, but I want to just remind you that knowing that you have it isn't enough. It's not going to do any good. You can't receive an inheritance if you're an orphan. I want to remind you that if you're not a believer this morning, you're an orphan. You're not a son. And the way you become a son is through putting your faith in Christ, putting your faith in what Jesus did on that cross, saying, Lord, I have all this sin that has kept me from you. You have all this righteousness that you want to give me as a gift because of what Jesus did on the cross. That one act, when you believe, this is what Paul said through everything I preached this morning, that one act, you become born again a baby in Christ, a new person, new creation. You are a son where you were not. And that, if you haven't done that, you need to do it. And secondly, you won't receive your inheritance if you never grow up. So I want to pray for you. If you've never made Jesus your Lord, if you've never accepted God as your Father and received what Jesus did on the cross, today's your day. I want you to do that. It's a simple act of faith and a prayer. The prayer is not magic. It's not an incantation. It's simply acknowledging that you believe what Jesus did for you on the cross and you receive his inheritance. You receive sonship from him just by putting your faith and your trust in him. And when you do that, you get a new heart. You are a new creation in everything. The Bible says all the old things pass away and everything becomes new for you. It's a new beginning. And everybody gets that in Christ. But if you're a mature believer, maybe you've done that. And somewhere along the way, it got tough. Or you just, it was hard, whatever. The enemy came against you. And you said, I don't, it's too hard. Adulting is too hard. I don't want to grow up. And I want to challenge you that you will never walk in the fullness of your inheritance until you make the decision to grow up in Christ. Amen? So Jesus, we just say thank you for who you are and what you've done. Lord, thank you that there is an inheritance available to us. And we're going to get into more and more of what that actually is not just us for you, because that is a beautiful inheritance that you are, you have given us, Lord. There's so much more, so much power, so much authority, so much that we can walk in, Lord, as we move forward in trusting you, Lord, that there's a reason why you've given an inheritance, and it is not to spend it on ourselves. Lord, our inheritance, we're going to live in an amazing house. We have property. We have all these things because of our inheritance. But Lord, you have given an us an inheritance, not just for us, but for others. And remind us as we go forward what that looks like and how we step into that in the fullness of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning and you need prayer, we'd love to pray for you. Our team will be up here. We'd love to pray for you, whether it's to become a believer or to step out in faith or whatever you might have need for in terms of healing or dealing with sickness or challenges. We'd love to pray for you. Otherwise, have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday.